Hello, hello, and welcome back to A Life Extraordinary. I'm your show host, Roberto, and it's 11.30 at night, and I'm in Tanzania, Africa, and I've just had a fantastic day um, exploring Olongoro um, Reserve, which is the largest uh, density of uh, big game reserve um, in, in, I believe, uh, Africa. And um, today we saw a variety of animals from uh, water buffalo to, um, what would it be? Not the giraffes, but we saw hyenas, we saw um, uh, lions, we saw, uh, in a distance, we saw elephants, um, we saw all sorts of wildlife. But I think what made it neat was the whole experience of getting to this conservation area because the difference between a conservation area and a national park is that in the conservation area, there's still several interests at play. So this uh, area, it still allows for cattle, for example, um, to graze there. And it still allows that the Maasai people believe that they own, um, (laughs) well, I don't know the history there, but from what I understood today, they say it's their land. So so there's a lot of interest here from uh, from different parties, which keeps it from becoming uh, a national park. So our morning began um, at around five in the morning, and uh, we got picked up at our hotel, um, which is not too far from Moshi uh, in Tanzania, and we headed off on what would be uh, a five-hour drive to our destination of Onongoro. <laughs> Uh, conservation area. But um, the drive, you know, it's something quite interesting um, to be in a country like this one because it's the contrast that I see in how uh, the world is here compared to, say, back home for me, um, that really makes me appreciate uh, the trip I'm on. Because the greater you see the contrast, the more you kind of understand um the life of privilege that we come from <clears throat> and the situations uh, in which the majority of the world lives. Like this is, there is abject poverty uh, in the streets, but yet the people seem jovial and happy and um, having plenty of kids at that. Um, in Tanzania, they make about $50 uh, a month and that's like a satisfactory uh, salary or wage. So when they get tourists like ourselves that come and spend significantly more, um, it's a big game changer uh, for their life because they uh, oftentimes can receive up to six months uh, or more in wages in just a matter of few days. Um, and I think that was a big part of the experience of us trekking up Kilimanjaro as well, was having uh, this forced interaction with locals on a daily basis from dawn till dusk in order to succeed in trekking up Kilimanjaro that gave more of an essence to the type of destination that Tanzania is. And uh, and you see, we got to know these, the cook as as people, and, and we got to see them on a daily basis. And sometimes the first face we would see and they would help us uh, and some of our guests climb up the mountains as well. So I think uh, it's really important that uh, that when you travel to a country, if you can find a way to immerse yourself into the culture by means like the ones we have, uh, by guiding a trip out here and using local operators, 
is that um, you really get the essence of a place. So, but I digress. I digress. So we did our big Kilimanjaro trek. Um, we headed back to the hotel, and I really wanted to start focusing with just our day of what it was to to see this wildlife in the crater of Onongorogo. <laughs> um, I'm trying to say it properly, but it doesn't seem to come out right. Norongoro, the world's largest intact volcanic caldera and home to the highest density of big game in Africa. Um, standing proudly in the Norongoro conservation area of Tanzania is the crater. This highly visited African attraction is the world's largest inactive, unbroken, and unfilled uh, volcanic caldera. So, <clears throat> excuse me, the explosion created a caldera approximately two and a half million years ago. But what's really neat is it creates this natural watershed that brings all the water down into the crater, making it absolutely lush, verdant, and filled with life, um, which makes it uh, host to so many different um, creatures. And uh, <clears throat> we felt that as we were driving in our land cruiser uh, into the crater and around the crater first, because you go on the rim's edge before going down into the crater, that as you look out over the crater, the view is absolutely Jurassic-like. You feel like you've gone eons back, um, and it's impressive to say, to say the least. Um, it left us uh, jaw-dropped uh, and eager to head down. So as we head down the road, we wound our way through um, some wild buffalo. Then we saw the eland. Um, we saw two different types of antelope. And, uh, and while you're driving, you've got this roof that pops up on, on the vehicle. And it's really neat because you're able to stand and uh, have the full-out uh, safari experience while you're looking out uh, over the savannah, is it? I have to check if it is savannah or not. Um, and it, and it, I think it was a, a very special part uh, of the day to, to be spending um, it seeing all of this wildlife. But seeing the elephants, I think, is always one of my favorite things. And while they were a bit far off in the distance, uh, we could make them out. We could see the black long tusks. <clears throat> I asked them if, if it was normal, uh, if poaching had stopped. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me, a little dry today. It's been a long day in the sun. Um, and I, I'd asked them if, if poaching uh, still goes on. And uh, the driver said to me, you know, uh, we, we don't accept that here. So if you get caught poaching, you could go to jail for the rest of your life. Um, so people don't do it anymore. So that's, that was really nice to hear. Um, but this crater really looks something like the land before time. Um, and it's almost like you're driving through uh, a wilderness zoo of sorts, uh, but left to its own elements. Uh, and yet you're not seeing it from in a cage to it, to a cage. You're in the cage <laughs> and the crater makes a natural barrier. Um, that makes this caldera just a melting pot of uh, a myriad of life. Um, <clears throat> so I, I do recommend that on a trip like this one, um, where we did both Kilimanjaro <clears throat> and the African safaris, that you balance it out by doing the safari as well, because it is the Kili trip is an exhausting one. Um, uh, if you don't live at altitude, um, getting up the mountain and getting accustomed to the altitude was definitely uh, 
in my case, it gave me headaches and whatnot. Whereas the majority of our guests uh, had no issues whatsoever because they already live at altitude their whole life. Um, whereas I live at sea level. So all this to say that uh, the Kili trip is is definitely a lot more uh, intense than than I had imagined it to be. Um, and as I clambered up the last section, uh, heading up to 18,000 feet, and in the middle of the night, I had my eyes closed, and I would just take two steps and hope that I wasn't going to bump into the guy uh, in front of me. That's how much altitude makes you a lot more tired. And after seven days of trekking or six days of trekking, uh, sorry, five days because it took two days to get out, um, you're absolutely knackered. Um, we saw a few people that, that seemed to have gotten altitude sickness and had to be carried down by their porters or guides. <clears throat> and, uh, and it's very interesting that, that you see that the age or demographic is all over the place because you can have somebody that looks, um, strong and fit and tall and athletic and, and they just get hit by, by altitude sickness. Um, so it's, I do recommend for those that are traveling uh, to do a trek to Kilimanjaro to be taking Diamox pills. Um, and these blood thinning type of uh, medication helps you not get altitude sickness. And the way my doctor prescribed it to me was <clears throat> take it as needed. So uh, start with a smaller amount. And then if you continue to have headaches or feel nausea, then you take a bigger amount. And I ended up um, taking more pills, truth be told, in the last... Uh, seven days than I have in a long time because I would take two twice 250 milligrams of Diamox a day and then on top of that two to four Advils a day and two to four Tylenols a day to control the headaches as well. So again, uh, I think it's important to pair your Tanzanian adventure with something that is a lot more relaxing uh, a day in so that's what we do if you come on one of our trips is we do the trek first and then after that uh, you, we take a day off at the hotel before heading out on the safari. The safari, um, you're in the vehicle 98% of the time, 95% uh, of the time. And so uh, it's a great way to wind down and see this other side of Africa that's very interesting. Now, one of the things that I, we did learn about where to go to shop. <laughs> And, and like anything in visiting uh, a destination for the first time, there's a learning curve. And we learned that uh, the first place that we were taken to um, was priced at ridiculous prices. And even though we negotiated to far lower uh, today by going to some of these roadside, roadside shops that uh, are almost ramshackle, we realized that we could get Whereas the other places, say, would start on an item for 500 and then 150 they would start 150 and um, And yeah, so we, we, got, <laughs> we got swindled on the tourist trap, um, but you you learned it once, and now we know which are the right places to go. Um, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about um, uh, Gorogoro, though, because that was what the day was spent uh, today. Uh, the crater is, is breathtakingly beautiful, um, and it's the best place in Africa to see the Big Five. Um, it's also a great way to see your African safari adventure, although in my recommendation, it's better to do it after uh, you do the Kili trip, for sure. 
Um, uh, another thing, it's not much more than like 20 kilometers in diameter. And I think that's what makes you really feel like you're in this tiny uh, outdoor zoo where you're still able to access and see things uh, on a much closer scale. Um, but yeah, very, very unique. Um, and we're really excited to, to be out there. So I'll jump over to a little bit more about the Kilimanjaro climb. I know I spent some time t yesterday talking with Jose Pablo about uh, uh, how he viewed the, the trip and as a 20-year-old young man, because one thing that I've learned is that uh, at these different stages of our lives, uh, we do see sometimes the same trip in a different way than somebody else from a different demographic sees it. Uh, so that, that I thought was a really unique thing to, to be able to do uh, with with Jose Pablo is to show you a little bit about how there's just like this great excitement from a youthful 20-year-old. Excuse me, I just need to grab some water here. Mm. Thank you. And, um, and, and contrast it a little bit perhaps to how myself, now a 39-year-old, um, found the trek to be. Um, what makes this trek particularly unique is that for most people, you can do it. There were ladies of 73 years old. There was a man in our group of 67. Um, the age range is extremely vast, um, but it is possible with the right support um, and the right guides to, to really get up there um, with, uh, with, with almost any demographic background. Um, that being said, obviously, uh, being fit and being a trekker already will will help you uh, a lot. So jumping back to uh, my perspective of this trip is, um, I think Kilimanjaro is, is one of those uniquely positioned destinations uh, in the world where <clears throat> while there used to be up to 75,000 people that would visit it in a year, the Lamosho route taken in a very slow and cautious uh, way, I think, really acclimatizes you um, to get into in, into the mountain mode. Um, the first day was four kilometers. Um, let me just jump in here for a second. I was going to say the first day was four kilometers. The second day was a 17-kilometer day, and and that, for a lot of people, is a long and arduous day, and... In my case, it would normally not have been a problem, but uh, but I was feeling um, altitude sickness, um, and that's what really changed uh, changed the game a bit. Um, so Mount Kilimanjaro is a dormant volcano in Tanzania. Tanzania it has three volcanic cones: Kibo, Mwenzi, and Shira. Uh, it's the highest mountain in Africa and the highest single freestanding mountain above sea level in the world. Sea level and hundred meters above its plateau base. Um, the mountain really only started to get much a lot of traffic around 1973, if what I remember is right, um, as people started to realize that it was uh, quite the place and destination to visit. The age of the rock is like four million years old. And the last option was between 150,000 and 200,000 years ago. So with timelines like that, you can't help but feel that perhaps Kilimanjaro is waiting again. Um, 
It's the fourth most topographically prominent peak on Earth. It is part of a Kilimanjaro, Kilimanjaro National Park and is a major climbing destination. Because of its shrinking size, glaciers and ice fields, which are projected to disappear between 2025 and 2035. While we were up there, we I'd actually seen some pictures. We had actually seen some pictures on the plane flight. Um, and it showed these giant, beautiful glaciers. And by being up there, you quickly realize that the pictures that we saw just a few months ago are no longer relevant because so much of that ice has already melted. Um, because of its shrinking glaciers and ice fields, uh, it's, it's almost a given that uh, maybe in the next 15 years, 10 years, there will be no, uh, no glaciers left there. Um, it's a, a large dormant stratovolcano composed of three uh, volcanic cones that I had mentioned to you. Uhuru Peak is the the peak where you're at the highest part, uh, highest point on the mountain. And it's funny when we got to Stella Point, which is around eighteen thousand plus feet. I while I knew the other peak was really the real summit, um, I was elated because the sun hit us. And it was warm, and it was uh, it gave a lot of rejuvenation to what had been a very long night already. And uh, and as as the sun just like kicked above, I could see Uhuru Peak in the distance, um, and I was thought to myself, oh, okay, you know that's like a ten minute walk, but realistically, it's like a forty minute walk uphill if you're if you're an altitude sickness type of feeling. And uh, and so on onwards I went and uh, headed to the top of Kibo's Crater Rim, which is Uhuru Peak. Um, so it lists Uhuru Peak at 5,895 meters. So that's 19,341 feet. Um, the height has since been measured. Uh, it seems to have gone down three meters um, in, in 1999 and then up a few meters in 2008 and up down again to 2014 so i guess basically just with uh with wind and storms and things like that uh, you get slough that comes off the mountain and therefore uh, it has certain size um i mean certain shrinkage of of the summit uh the volcanic interior of kilimanjaro is poorly known because there has not been any significant erosion to the exposure of igneous strata that comprises the volcano structure Eruptive activity at the Shira Center commenced about two and a half million years ago, with the last important phase occurring about 1.9 million years ago, just before the northern part of the edifice collapsed. Shira is topped by a broad plateau at 3,800 meters, 12,500 feet, which may be uh, a filled caldera. The remnant caldera rim has been degraded deeply by erosion. Before it formed and erosion began, Shira might have been between 4,900 and 5,200 meters. It's mostly comprised, composed of basic levels with some pyroclastics, basic lavas. The formation of the caldera was accompanied by lava emanating from ring fractures, but there was no large-scale explosion activity. Two cones formed subsequently, the phonolithic one at the northwest edge of the ridge and the dolaritic platzegigal in the caldera center. Both Mowenzi and Kibo began erupting about one million years ago. They are separated by the Saddle Plateau at 4,400 meters elevation. Um, 
and I think it's, it's neat to, to give you all those stats because it gives you an idea of how timeless, in a way, these mountains are, and yet at the same time, they are not because, um, because they, they are mountains that obviously have been formed for, for a I'd to share with you something that I'm just checking here some information about because, um, let's see here, it will give me an idea of uh, a few stories for you. Um, so about 30,000 people um, sometimes attempt to climb Kilimanjaro, and on average the reported number of deaths is about 10 per year. It's very easy to be evacuated by use of helicopter or a stretcher, and that's why there are no dead bodies on Kilimanjaro. Um, if we apply the mortality rate of 13.6 deaths per 100,000 climbers from the study um, that it basically receives on an annual basis, it's a, it's a mountain that uh, definitely takes some cautious uh, approach. Um, and yeah, and, and for us, it was just an experience uh, that came where you find yourself by pushing your limits. Because if you don't push your limits, understand what you're capable of. You know, all outdoor activities have some degree of risk. Hiking is no different. Though hiking is a fun and filling way to see the world, it can also take you to high elevations that your body isn't used to. Kilimanjaro's summit stands 19,341 feet above sea level, which puts it in the extremely high altitude category. High altitude is 8,000 to 12,000 feet above sea level. Very high altitude is 12,000 to 18,000, and extremely high is 18,000 above. So it's in the extremely high altitude. Uh, subjecting the human body to these altitudes puts the body at stress. The reason is there's less and less oxygen as we climb higher and higher on the mountain. The air we breathe is primarily made up of two gases, nitrogen and oxygen. The composition of air is consistent irrespective of the altitude. It is exactly the same at sea level and at high altitude. However, the air pressure in the atmosphere, also known as barometric pressure, decreases as we climb higher. This means that there are less molecules of nitrogen and oxygen at higher altitudes as there is less pressure on the, to compress them follows that there's less oxygen for every breath. When your body doesn't have enough oxygen, you could get hypoxia, and hypoxia occurs when there are low levels of oxygen in your tissues. Hypoxia can lead to se severe, several altitude illnesses. Um, has Mount Kilimanjaro killed anyone? Yes, every year there's deaths on Kilimanjaro. However, because the National Park authorities do not release it, it's impossible to know exactly how um, so instead of being able to analyze the truth, we're forced to take educated guesses. Um, we should also discuss how many people climb annually. You know, it's some years it's 30,000, some it's 50, some it's up to 75. Um, but on any given year, the number of reported tourist deaths is approximately 10. But this number may understate the true number of fatalities because not all deaths are reported. The actual number of deaths is generally believed to be two to three times higher. However, these figures are also unsupported. So we're looking at around 20 to 30 people dying from it. So every day that we were on the trek, 
um, we would have our oxygen levels checked. And this gives the guides, the local guides, an idea of how our body is doing and acclimatizing and getting used to being up high. Now, um, we also get asked questions like, are you feeling nauseous? Are you, uh, do you have any headaches or do you have any fatigue? And, uh, and this is all in a way to determine whether a climber should start heading back down um, and, you know, really just not attempt to do something others under such duress or simply put, um, they, they need to, to uh, get, get down, uh, get down the mountain. Um, sorry, a little bit, very much so exhausted tonight, <laughs> um, but really wanted to get this, this podcast out. Um, and what else did I want to tell you about Killian and our adventure up there? We've, We've made some lovely changes and, and we're really excited for the trip that's going to be coming up in October because I think that with the changes and adjustments that we've made to, to our schedule and our trip, it will really give an opportunity for people uh, to come and experience it and to overcome them, their, their limits or their perceived limits. You know, we had, uh, we have this 67 year old uh, gentleman with us who, who found it extremely difficult, and yet he managed to get up to 5,500 meters, which I'm sorry, but you can talk to anybody at that age, and it's it's very impressive that they uh, would get to that uh, altitude at that age. So um, so my, my, my kudos to him. Um, so high altitude, but, but one of the things that you need to be aware of is that high altitude pulmonary edema and high altitude Cerebral are severe forms of altitude sickness. Um, results from fluid built in the lungs. And it, haste is the result of the swelling of brain tissue from fluid leakage. But both of these conditions are potentially fatal and must be treated uh, immediately. So the best thing to do uh, if you are feeling altitude sickness is start making your way uh, down the mountain if it's been getting to a level where it's your ability to to do anything because it's one thing to have headaches that you're able to control with Dynamox, Advil, and Tylenol, but yes, yet a different thing um, to be ravaged by vomiting, nausea, that stuff. So here's a little bit of the stats of what uh, has happened in the past on Tanjaro. In the eight years that we're studying, 25 tourists died while climbing it, the ages range from 29 to 74. Uh, 17 were male and 8 were female. 14 of the 25 tourists died due to advanced high altitude sickness. Um, that's pretty crazy. That's a, a really high ratio of people that get very sick on the mountain not being able to make head out. <clears throat> 11 of 25 had non-HAI-related deaths like trauma, uh, heart attack, pneumonia, uh, and things as such. I'm sorry to be so morbid this evening on, um, on what the uh, climbing Kili is, but I just it's a way of making you aware that there are possibilities of things going wrong. But And so if we apply the mortality rate of 13.6 deaths per 100,000 climbers, um, then then the number of deaths in the mountain comes to about 4 to 7 per year. Um, but that being said, because the government doesn't give out information, it's probably not too accurate. Um, and what else did I want to tell you about uh, Kili? Yeah, the, the descent is is so easy if you compare it to, to going up. And I mean, on an exponential basis, you know, 
I think that when I'm having a tricky climb or trek, I if I focus on the simple fact that um, if I'm having if I'm having trouble with a, a trek or or a climb, I just have to to really focus on uh, getting to the top uh, as soon as possible because. Once I reach the top, that's the end goal, because after you reach the top, the trek back is simply uh, downhill, and gravity there kicks in and does its thing. Um, it took us six hours and 40 minutes to do the last section uh, to get up the mountain uh, and summit to Uhuru Peak, um, and at the same time, it only took uh, one hour and 20 minutes to kick on down that section. Um, one of the neat and important things that when you're when you're trekking is that if you're on a downhill, uh, wear plenty of layers, be warm, uh, because this will keep you. Uh, you're not needing nearly as much energy as you would be needing when you're trekking upwards. And uh, and always carry your rain jacket. We were hammered by as uh, what looked like a beautiful day turned into a hailstorm which is definitely the first hail that I've ever seen on the African continent. And, uh, and it made us go quite quickly, even faster down the mountain. Um, but again, I think I'm, I'm going on a tangent. The fatigue has hit me. Uh, it's been a very long uh, few days. In a few days, I'll be back in Worcester. But tomorrow morning, we're doing another unique experience here in Tanzania, which is we're going to go see the Maasai. Uh, as well as take a safari, and uh, and those two things combined, I think. tuning in. Just sure.